Hey everyone, this is uh, um, our first time recording uh, with a guest, um, and I'm really excited. Um, today our guest is Anthony, Anthony Bradley, poet, um, movie fanatic. I don't know, I just remember like the first time we hung out and like talking about palindromes and like Todd Solange and seeing his like DVD collection and I was just like really amazed by it and he was like the first person to come to mind when I thought about like what guests I wanted on our show so I'm really excited uh, to have you here. Yay, I'm very excited myself. <laughs> Thanks for having me cool. on. Of course. Um, can you uh, tell us what movies you chose and why or what theme? Yeah, um, so I chose Savage Grace from 2007 uh, by the director of Swoon, which is a new cinema or new queer cinema classic. Um, and his name I forgot to write down. Which, uh, Tom Kalen, I think. Thank you. With a K. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other film I chose was Birth, which is a 2004 Jonathan Glazer. Um, and I picked both of these because I wanted to see both of them. And also, like, I think there's a lot of overlap here, too, with some of the themes that I figure would be fun to talk about. Uh, mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of weird uh, sexual discomfort in these movies. <laughs> um which is always one of my favorite things to explore. So, mm -hmm. bathtubs is a big thing. Yes, I think, in both of these bathtubs and kitchens. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I hadn't seen any of these, either of these, um, until this past week. Clint, have you seen either of these movies? No. Before this, no. okay, yeah. So entirely new to? territory. Um, I had heard about birth and it was definitely on my radar yeah. um because i've i've seen under the skin and i as i was looking through glazer's like um music video videography i guess um i realized he has like a lot like way more than i remembered and uh i i really liked under the skin or at least i did when it came out um so I was interested in the concept of birth, um, and I haven't seen his other one, um, Sexy Beast, yeah. but that's on my list too. So uh, um, I highly recommend Sexy Beast. Very good film. Nice. Uh, yeah, his now that I've seen all three of his films, um, his uh, his output is just so like diverse, like the three film mm -hmm. these three films are so different from each other like uh sexy beast is like a heist film with ray winstone uh birth is like i don't know what to, i don't know and then under this <laughs> and under the under the skin is you know they're just such different films yeah 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 um yeah, it seems like he's, at least from Under the Skin and Birth, it seems like he's kind of interested in just, like, weird or kind of more cere cerebral kind of elements in film, which I'm always a fan of. Yeah. Um, and Savage Grace, when I, at first, like, when you mentioned it, I hadn't, it hadn't clicked with me, and then I looked at the poster and I was like, okay, I vaguely remember this font and, like, Julian Moore, like, with a cigarette but um, yeah. I didn't know, like, anything about it or that it was based on real people or anything like that. So it was... I came in with a clean slate for that yeah. one. So I guess we can get started by digging into um, Tom Kalen's Savage Grace. Um, I, um, I think Julian Moore... I mean, she's, like, one of my favorite actresses. I was really excited, too, that, like, both of these movies have some of my favorite leading ladies, Julianne and, and Nicole Kidman. Um, and Julianne Moore, I think, was, like, um, the saving grace of Savage Grace. Um, she just kind of had a, uh, a really large kind of campy presence. It kind of reminded me of something like Mommy Dearest, um, where she's just kind of 
larger than life, but also you can't really connect with her emotionally because she's, like, such a narcissist. And um, all of the other characters, too, like Eddie Redmayne, um, you feel, like, bad for him, but it's, like, also just hard. Like, they just make it hard to, like, really... Uh, I don't know, connect, and maybe it's, like, the class stuff, too, because it's, like, all of these, like, socialites, and they're traveling everywhere. Um, But I found the most pleasant parts to be the parts where, like, Julianne kind of explodes. Um, There's a scene in the airport when she finds out her husband, um, Brooks, is with, like, this Spanish girl, and (laughs) she's... (laughs) Yeah. She's, like... um, yeah. Does he fuck you up the ass? And she like looks around, makes make sure like everyone's like looking at her, and she starts like sniffing. She's like, oh, like he must have like you must have wanted to do something super intellectual, and she just like goes off on him. Um, moments like that are great, and um, it was just kind of creepy hearing Eddie Raymond's character saying "mummy" every like ten minutes. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, those, yeah. those are my, those are my, like, first Mommy, impressions yeah. of the movie. I don't have too much to say, um, I, I, I just did not like this film. I, uh, I was looking at my phone a lot, and, uh, I don't know, I just, they're just, like, rich, boring people, and, like, I felt like what led Redmayne's character to you know, do what he does at the end. Uh, what happened to him didn't justify to me, like, his mm-hmm. breakdown. Um, it just seemed like things that would happen, like, in uh, any other person's life, it would be like, yeah, it kind of sucks, but, like, it doesn't mean you should, like... It doesn't lead up to, like, murder, you know? Um, but also, I just... They were just, like, these... Like, I think mm. Claudia said they're kind of like these rich, vapid characters that I I, I just didn't care about. Um, and I didn't like... Just the performance from Eddie Redmayne was just really, really boring. Like, it seemed like he was not acting or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. It felt like there was, like, missing story beats on those. Yeah. I felt like I I would, like, look away from the screen for, like, two seconds, and then something would happen, and I was, like, it just felt kind of, like, flat. Like, even when he, like, you know, they're in the kitchen at the end, I was, like, I looked at my phone for, like, two minutes, and then I, like, look up, and I'm, like, wait, I need to, like, go back. Something major just happened, and now he's ordering Chinese food. Oh, yeah. Um... That's, like, for some reason, that wasn't, like... So, usually, if you have a film with, like, uh, what this film has, like, incest and murder, you would think that would be, like, the high point of the film. Um, It was just... It wasn't even that shocking to me. It was just, like... And it could... You could make it shocking, or... You could do a lot of things with it, but I don't think it did much with that. You know, it was kind of boring to me. I don't know. I I think it was a really bad choice to have him as the focal point and to have him as the narrator of the story. Yeah. Because that the whole, like, unreliable narrator twist, uh, spoilers, that he's in prison at the end, like, doesn't do anything. And he, like, Julianne Moore's character obviously is so much more interesting, like... That I kind of wanted to know what was going on in her head, so I think the narration really hurt it. It it really boxed in the narrative for me. Yeah, I I think narration is kind of hard to pull off. Um, I think when it's done really poorly, it can come off as like an amateur like NYU film that like needs. Um, more practice with like screenwriting and when it's done really well um you know it's like something like goodfellas um so it's like i don't know it's just it's i think biopics are also hard i think we i think clint we talked about it maybe recently about like how it's just like yeah really kind of difficult um and like usually with someone with like a story that's like not known 
it that's when biopics can be a little bit more interesting because it's like oh like this is real um but it it just still did not kick in the way that I've seen other biopics do similar things and um you know they have like the classic like fade out at the end with like the facts of like the people and like it just gets worse and worse <laughs> like he like stabs his grandma and like and then he then he dies of suicide which again like yeah. why was he the narrator here <laughs> like I, I i just didn't see him becoming uh we're supposed to believe that he's like mentally ill or something and it just seems like he's like this lazy horny gay guy um he doesn't seem like mentally ill to me uh but then in the end it just is like oh now he's a killer it's like okay Uh, or like i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know yeah it just they didn't i don't know the details they decided to highlight about his character were just like you know mostly focused on like his um relationships and um the like dog collar that he was like distraught about and the um letters that he sent to his dad and just like asking him please take care (laughs) of mummy and you can tell like obviously these things these things are like um upsetting him and that he's like you know going through some like familial trauma and then like the incest but it's just like we don't it's there's like no kind of hand reaching out to the audience saying like okay like here's a moment of like empathy or like like you feel bad for him and like but it's like I don't know it felt more it just felt distant even though it was trying to evoke some sort of feeling I guess well I'd be interested to hear Tom Kalin the director talk about the film apparently he's like a professor of film Mm -hmm. studies and uh he's done like two major films I think we mentioned earlier uh one about Leopold and Loeb and this one uh, they're separated by like almost twenty years or something, and I just would be interested mm-hmm. in hearing like what he was going for with this film, like what he thought he was, what what attracted him to the story, what his intentions were. Um, that would be really interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. I'm curious too, and this this is kind of a, a um, I should have remembered this, but apparently there's an NC17 cut. Mm. Oh. And the one on Prime was rated yeah. R, so I didn't think of that until after I finished it. Um, so maybe they some of the story got lost, but I mean they show, you know, lots of sexual content. Yeah, they do. Yeah. With that, you figure would be part of that NC seventeen. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, let's get into that. I think that's like the most interesting part yeah. of the of the film. There's an implied three-way between um, an art dealer and Eddie Redmayne and uh, Julianne Moore. Right, he's an art dealer, right? Did I get that right? There's yes. this really complicated plot yeah. about uh, Julianne Moore becoming an artist somehow. Um, and and he's played by Hugh Dancy, if you're a Hannibal fan. Um, yeah, I did not catch that so, so <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't know he was in the movie until i like was like whoa yeah so i mean i would recommend this film if you're if you ever had a fantasy about julianne moore he dancy and eddie redmayne yeah um i read something somewhere about how the dude that hugh dancy plays um i think his name is samuel adams green uh, wrote an article apparently pointing out the elements in the film that were factually inaccurate, including the threesome. Um, mm-hmm. And he took legal no. action against the filmmakers, um, but I think he died before it was resolved. So. Wow. Yeah, I I also read that the uh, someone didn't think that they actually even uh, the mother and the son even slept together. Uh, which is interesting, you know, just these competing accounts in a bio for a biopic. Um, don't uh, don't they go to the the funeral of Marcel Duchamp at one point in this movie? Yeah, I think so. They're like friends with. I don't know that Hugh Dancy character is kind of interesting. I guess. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. And then he like leaves right after. Yeah. Like, they have that threesome, and he's like, "I've, it's my time to go." Yeah. I have literally done all um, I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I thought that, and like the scene towards the end um, with Eddie and Julian um, when she's like on the couch with him, and then she like masturbates him after they have sex um reminded me a lot of the scene in the master with um amy adams and philip seymour hoffman and she's like jacking him off in front of the mirror um but uh it was it was really and i think he says something like oh you're the best mommy or i don't know if he says mommy but he's just like you're the best barbara um it was just really um and we already get like those weird sexual moments from like when he's like still a little boy and like they're on the bed and she's like kissing him but the way that the camera like lingers on it is like very particular um yeah um there's also a scene i just remembered the beginning i don't know if it's like foreshadowing or something but there's like she's at a dinner party with her husband and she's like uh they're like in paris she's like so tell me is marcel proust really gay and uh, the the Frenchman just like doesn't <laughs> Is he answer. A homosexual. Homosexual, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. That was interesting. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's also that like um, that scene, that like masochist scene between Julian and her husband. Oh yeah. And she's like pushed down into the bed. Yeah. 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 Very steamy movie, but it didn't like. I don't know how effective it, its like steaminess was, but it was definitely the most interesting part of the movie. Yeah, that to me, yeah, that was maybe the most like we, the weirdest and most unsettling scene when they uh they have that really rough sex in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. It felt more real than the other sex scenes to me. No, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think, like, it is interesting, like, that there is so much overlap with these two, um, because I hadn't seen either one, but you have, like, they both have, like, these immature husband characters where they're, like, both trying to, like, as we'll get to in birth, I mean, um, oh, what's his name? I forget. Danny Houston. Like, Danny Houston basically, like, picks fights with this little kid, which we'll get to, and is, like, weirdly immature about things. And you have uh, the father here, played by Stephen Delane um, from Game of Thrones. And he he's weirdly immature, too. I mean, he runs off with his son's supposed girlfriend. Um... And then just, like, acts like he is, like, scared of of his own child. Like, he hide, literally hides from him, which is kind of something you see with uh, Danny Houston's character, too, where he's he's kind of scared of this kid. Um, it, it, he has a reason, though, at least. I don't, I don't know what um, Brooke's reason was. Yeah, but. it seems like he just didn't want a kid in the first place or like is like one of those it it's implied that like i forget like what his grandpa invented or where his legacy kind of comes from like they invented some sort of thing um which is where he got his money and uh i feel like it kind of just shows how like empty like how he he just like got with like julianne moore's character and then like had a kid to like you know present that appearance that like I have a wife and kid um but like you can tell he like he resents her from like the start he's like oh you're gonna make me wear a little suit like a little monkey like what am I what what do I look like to you and um because she's like making plans for dinner um and she like it seems very just like kind of vocal and like provocative in her like questions and um like at dinner when she's like oh would you sleep with um 
forget her name, but he's like, would you sleep with this girl for like $10 million? And he's oh, like, yeah. Please don't. <laughs> yeah. That's a cute image. So you can tell he's like... A monkey in a, monkey in a suit. <laughs> I know. It's pleasant. Who wouldn't want to be a monkey in a suit? I don't know. But yeah, I guess you're right. Like that kind of idea of um, immature husbands and like... Uh, wealth, I think, is, like, a huge part of both of these movies. Um, yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to say about Savage Grace, but um, if you want to, we can, like, start talking about birth in terms of, like, the the class dynamics, because I feel like I have been thinking about that a lot um, with... Um, uh, just how kind of empty Nicole Kidman seems throughout, like, all of the, I mean, starting out with, like, the opera scene, and then when they, like, are, it seems like they're choosing what musicians they want for, like, the, um, the wedding, and that's when, like, um, Sean starts kicking the, the seat of, uh, of the fiancé, and then he, like, goes buck wild. But um, you can you can just tell in like Nicole Kidman's expressions how empty she feels and like how like all of this wealth, all of these like beautiful things, like don't bring her any happiness in comparison to like you know someone that she lost. Like you can't bring back someone who's dead, and like no amount of wealth is gonna like fix that or change that. Um, and it just shows how kind of unhappy she is um, in her like engagement, but. So, like, this movie was his second film, second feature film. came out in 2004, directed by Jonathan Glazer. Um, stars Nicole Kidman, Lauren Bacall as the mother, and um, what's the name of the dude you just mentioned? Danny Huston? Danny Huston. Okay, yeah. And then, um, I don't know the little kid's name, but... Um, how would you how would you like briefly summarize this movie or like give a synopsis? Um okay, so basically there is this woman who is a widower and she is finally moving on and getting married again um to her fiance Joseph and the woman played by uh Nicole Kidman, who is lovely, and uh, this mysterious boy shows up to their fancy apartment, um, played by Cameron Bright, um, who is in stuff. He he often plays a creepy little kid. I looked him up and I forgot what else he was in. But this boy shows up one day and claims that he is her dead husband. So basically, you uh, you follow along as this rich woman who is supposed to be over you know finished grieving her husband now has to deal with this kid who is following her everywhere and claiming to be uh sean her deceased husband so that's kind of the gist of it yeah i'd say so um yeah i think it's like a really kind of effective uh thriller and like um I don't know what the term would be or genre would be but it's just kind of very believable like it kind of it um crosses like the line between like sometimes like comedy sometimes horror and then like also just it it's really effective at creating suspense I think um and like seeing where the movie's gonna take you and like where it's gonna land because I certainly did not know where it was going to be headed. Um, and Nicole Kidman is, like, great in this. Um, she kind of has, like, Mia Farrow vibes from, like, Rosemary's Baby with the hair. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's just, like, Lauren Bacall's also really good. Um, and there's just, like, a lot of beautiful scenes throughout the movie. Um that I enjoyed yeah it starts off with that icy long take of the husband just running for like I don't know what five minutes it feels like um and then he dies and at the moment that he dies 
we're we're shown this image of a baby in, in fetus i think um and so it's implied that at the moment he dies a baby is born um and this baby is sean <laughs> uh whether he is the real reincarnation of nicole kidman's husband or not is like to me really interesting and i i don't know i have two i have two i guess like theories about that um there's a lot of uh plotting you know that's going on in this film uh to like sort of understand that like so we're originally after that we get this party and we have this whole scene that doesn't really make any sense until you like get what's going on later in the film uh Nicole Kidman, uh, her husband's friend's wife, has this uh, gift uh, wrapped or whatever. We don't know what it is. It just doesn't make... This this scene, to me, did not make sense. It was interesting. But she goes out into the park and buries it. And um, the little boy... Sean, I think, sees this happen in the park. And... Help me out here, because I don't know what to think. Um, it seems like he finds those letters, which are apparently letters that Sean, the dead Sean, Nicole Kidman's husband, wrote to Nicole Kidman, like love letters or something. Um, he took those and learned things about Sean so he could pretend to be Sean. Is that is that right? I mean, that's what I think is implied by the end of the movie. Okay, but okay. it's like, yeah, I guess kind of Because I, I still felt like maybe he is Sean. Yeah, no, I thought that too. I like, I had a lot of questions about that because... Well, I think what's interesting about it is that the, the whole time you're watching the kid you know be so earnest about this mm-hmm. um it, it's so much so that he eventually convinces uh nicole kidman's character that it is her dead husband mm-hmm. um and so when he when the letters come out uh that he had got all the information from these he instead of acting like you know well i got caught it's more he says uh, well, if I'm not Sean, then who am I? Mm. So <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm not that... Sean because I love you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Which, which to, to basically, uh, Anne Hesh, who is the, the friend's wife who had the affair with Sean, uh, adult Sean brought her those letters to prove that he didn't love Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And so... That that's yeah. I mean, he's like, I I'm not Sean because I love you. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. Damn. yeah. Um, it was. I was like waiting for him to like. I don't know. If, like, I think at that point in the movie, I was like, okay, so like, what if like he isn't Sean, but like he's someone else that like loves that like has been reincarnated into this little boy and like loves Nicole Kidman. Like that's what I saw as, like, a possibility or something, um, because I guess, and, like, I also thought, like, like, uh, you know, she didn't want to give those letters, the friend didn't want to give the letters to Nicole Kidman, so she buried them, and at first I thought it was, like, some sort of ritual, like, she was putting some sort of, like, making, like, a wish or something for, like, him to come back, and that's why she was, like, you know, when she first saw Sean, like, the little boy, she, like, you know, knew it wasn't him because she was like, well, he wouldn't be, like, all over Nicole Kidman. He'd be, like, coming to me because he really loved me. Um, But, yeah, I thought that was... I thought that whole kind of thing was really interesting, Um, especially by the time we get to the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, Also, just the scenes are so much more effective in this than in Savage Race. Like, the... um all of the tension in this film is like very real and like very creepy. Like Mm, I, it was just kind of gross. And like, 
at the same time, I could feel for Nicole Kidman. At the same time, I was repulsed by Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It was just very comp. It, it just effectively made like this complex situation um, really entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I feel like this movie could have the idea behind this movie could have gone in so many different directions. Like I could see it as like a straight up like like horror movie. I could see it as like a like an like a zany quirky plot to like a TV show where it's like a comedy. Like, yeah. But the way that it's like you know, and there's moments where like I think there's a moment when um, Lauren Bacall. Um, is like oh like how is Mr. Reincarnation doing and like gives him juice or something and you're like oh my god this is like ridiculous um and then there's the moments like the bathtub scene or like the scene when they're outside and she like kisses him and you're just like whoa this is like and just I think um what's his name Cameron Bright just like his face too like he never smiles throughout this whole movie and he just has like such a unique face um like his eyes and his cheekbones and like his stare is like really intense um and it kind of it just adds to the eeriness i think of the movie too yeah and danny houston's performance is like very underrated i think (laughs) um Mm -hmm. he's so good in this and like the scene when uh uh sean is like kicking his chair and Mm -hmm. he's like Stop. He keeps turning back. He's like, stop that. Stop that. Uh, I love that scene. That That is the most intense spaking scene since Secretary that I've seen in the movie. <laughs> it kind of reminded me, too, of um, Barry Lyndon when yes. he, like, spanks oh, yeah. the, <laughs> the boy. That's, like, immediately it came to mind. Yeah. It was, oh, my like, God, you're right. Yeah, similar vibe. How he like crawls over the piano to like get to him. Yes. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Could we talk about the? Sorry. Go ahead. No, you go for. I wasn't gonna say anything. I was gonna say, can we talk about the bathtub scene a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just like when this movie came out, uh, that that was like a huge controversy. Like Mm -hmm. I remember, like that's kind of why this movie I think disappeared. I don't think it it played at some of the festivals, you know, and then people kind of freaked out about that scene and you kind of never heard of it again. No. So, like, mm. I, I think it, you know, I, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more, I think. Just your guys' thoughts on it. Yeah, I think um, when I was looking up, like, reviews for this movie and stuff, it has, like, I mean, um, Ebert, I think, gave it, um three and a half stars um but like all the other reviews I saw were like really like negative like I think it has like a 38 on like Rotten Tomatoes which is the exact same score that Savage Grace has um (laughs) and um yeah I don't know it's like I the way that that scene is filmed too um it like just the camera just stays on Sean undressing and it just kind of makes you really uncomfortable um I don't know and it like it just it's one of those scenes like I think the opera scene and the bathtub scene are like two of the big scenes that really stayed with me from this oh my movie. god yes yeah um so I don't know uh should we what happens in the bathtub scene they get in the tub and what what happens again? They talk. Um, he just comes in and, and they don't really say anything. Uh, and he undresses and, and gets in the tub with her. Mm-hmm. And, and I think she says, like, what are you doing? Or why are you looking at me? Mm. Yeah. And he's like, because I'm your husband or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, they have this dialogue where she's like, are you ready to do, like, the husband, the, the things that yes. you have to do as a husband? Oh. And he's, mm. she's like, something about, like, am I, am I your first or something? It was fucking weird. Yeah. Because um, they have a discussion like that at the, when they, when he's eating ice cream, too. And she's like, have you ever made love to a girl before? 
Yeah. And then he's like, well, you'd be my first or something. Um, and she's just, like, staring at him. And, like, I don't know. It's 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 really kind of haunting, I think. And then yeah. there's, like, a second bathtub scene, too, when he goes into goes up in the tree and then, like, comes back. And his face is, like, full of dirt. And that's, like... And she's like, oh, I have a plan. We're going to run away together. And, like, in 10, year, 10 years, you'll be, like, 18 or 21. Um, and, you know, it'll be fine. And then that's when he's like, I'm not Sean. And I think she says something like, well, you're just a silly little boy, aren't you? Or, like, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah naughty boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's so, well, this is what was interesting to me about that, um, when he says like you're my first mm-hmm. um so this is just like the whole question of like if you believe which i did like i did start to think this is sean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um how does that work you know or if you think about something like the dalai lama who like supposedly is like reincarnated a reincarnation of someone else like how do you access memories and like how does mm-hmm. how does that happen like it seems like he thinks like he's remembering some things but like it'll take time to remember everything. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I don't know. Yeah, that that was interesting to me. Yeah, hmm. I I think what like I disagree with a lot of the reviews on that on their relationship and like the bathtub scene mm-hmm. in particular because it, when you watch it, it, it's not you never get the sense that like her character is lusting after the kid. And so, you, you know, you had a lot of, like, initial reactions to it as, like, you know, a fear of that kind of thing. And, but, like, she, and I think this fits the themes of both of our movies, you have this idea of a boy becoming a man and a woman being, like, the, you know, the instigator for that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, when he gets in that bathtub, like, she... You know, like Clint said, she asked him about, you know, well, can you provide for me? How can you protect me? Mm, and, you know, and mm-hmm. he's like, he's like, I can get a job or whatever. And it's it, so like, it's very, it's handled very uh, practical, almost yeah. in like a mother son kind of way, which given the ages, it's like they kind of revert to that automatically, I feel. Mm. Um, so, and that, echoes the relationship with uh joseph who Mm. comes off as this immature guy who and how she has to kind of like mother him sometimes Mm. yeah and so for me it never came off as like i mean it is it's a weird image for sure and it's uncomfortable but i think the filmmaker handles it really well uh Mm. you know in that scene Yeah. yeah i don't know maybe he like had the kid in the bath at a different time from Nicole Kidman. I don't know. Yeah. You know, sometimes they do that with kid actors. They'll like yeah. film the scene separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it doesn't seem like he was trying to make something like vulgar or like mm-hmm. uh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like really effective at showing how like how much grief Nicole, uh, yes. Nicole's character, Anna, was in, and how much, like, how much, you could see how much work she did to get over Sean. Yes. And, like, you just saw that slowly unravel, starting with, like, that shot of her face in the opera, and how, like, in her eyes, you can just tell that she's, like, thinking about Sean, and, like, like what if this is him, and, like, what do I do if it is him, um, and that she's willing to wait that many years to like be with him and um it's just really kind of it's it's really sad um and I was re-watching the beginning scene and I hadn't realized that like one of his first lines Sean's lines before he dies is he's talking about how he doesn't believe in reincarnation and he's like yeah um he's just he's like I'm a man of science um so yeah, kind he's of an atomic physicist that's he splits right the atom that's right yeah, so I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah. Because um, it makes everything a little bit more complicated in the movie. What did um, what did you think of the ending? Okay, so it was pretty. 
uh, pretty like empty for me. It was like she's gonna get back with Danny Houston, but like at this point, like how could you recover yes. that relationship? Have <laughs> <laughs> you seen him attack a child? Yeah, you attacked a child in front of me, and then you left me mm-hmm. for an eleven-year-old mm-hmm. who was pretending to be <laughs> your dead husband. <laughs> Holy shit! It's a lot of baggage. Yeah, that's a little, little difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was really sad. Like, I just, the scene of her, like, at the beach, um, kind of evoked, like, Virginia Woolf vibes. It, like, uh, reminded me of, like, the awakening when, you know, just the idea of going into the ocean and um, to die um, and, like, eternity, too. Um, like, I think water is associated, like, the ocean is associated with, like, eternal life, and, like, um, I just thought it was, like, really, really sad, because you know she's gonna go, I mean, like, and her mom says that, too, like, when Anna is considering, um, getting with Sean or running away with him she's like I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell the authorities what's going on and you'll go to jail so you can't do that um so she knows like that she's gonna have to return to like this life that seems kind of empty empty and vapid and just kind of um for the sake of like maintaining some sort of status quo and uh and you know they like have Sean's little um, monologue at the end about like how he is getting help and that they're trying to figure out why he would do something like this and I don't know I like that they 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 don't let you off like they don't completely abandon like the weird supernatural aspect either with the reincarnation um, you get that scene where he climbs into the tree Mm-hmm. and curls up like up against the limbs and then it kind of becomes just mm-hmm. like a silhouette and he's part of it like it, it and this is after he confesses that he made it up yeah um, that's right and like yeah. I, I fully expected not to see him again at that point because his mm. his father Sean adult Sean died in the dark under a bridge or an overpass and then you get, you know, the kid disappearing into this tree. And I was like, oh, okay, that's it. Like, he's returning. But then we get that, uh, him going to therapy and soon becoming a child smiling for his school portrait. It's, it's interesting. But it almost mm-hmm. feels like he was, like, yeah. forced into that. So you can still believe that maybe it was Sean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it makes things easier to believe yeah. that he is Sean, which is still a sad ending because she yes. can't be with him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's worth mentioning uh, Anne Hage too, who is so good in this. Like, yeah. she only has... She played... Uh, she played the friend, yes, right? Yes, the, the cheating yes. friend. Okay. The mistress, yeah. I guess we can call her. Yeah. She has, what, like, four scenes in the movie, but she's so good in them. Yeah. That's right. There's that one scene when she has like the dirt all over her hands and then she yeah. asks Sean to come to the bathroom to wash them off. And I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And going back to that bathtub scene and why I think it was handled so well with uh, mm-hmm. Anne Hesh, she says to him, it's too bad you didn't come to me first because I would have explored this. Mm, that's right. And, and so there you get, that's, you know, that's the bad stuff (laughs) has more implications yeah Mm -hmm. that's true yeah yeah she was really good and like such a essential part of the movie too uh we also get a little i like the cameo from ted levine yes as uh sean's sean's father oh yeah um he played uh buffalo bill in um silence of the lambs Mm-hmm. Um, so there's sort of another connection to Hannibal. That's true. Um, That's true. Since you, what you mentioned earlier. And I have to say, this movie is noteworthy for casting actors who are always creepy weirdos and having them be a normal person. 
like the hair on the back of my neck stood up when this movie started and they had Danny Houston and Peter Stormare in it. And I, yes. And yeah, I was Peter like, Stormare, oh God, yeah. like this is going to be bad. <laughs> but then like Houston, I mean, aside, but he's just kind of immature and dumb, not really evil. Uh, but like Peter Stormare yeah. is completely uh, average. He's like a caring yes. friend. He's a caring I've never friend. Never seen him play he someone cares like about that. Sean. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's it's really weird the casting decisions mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. That's what I I think everyone in this film like you don't often see uh rich people portrayed in a way that like this. Like they're always kind of monsters like Savage Grace or like, mm-hmm. you know, shows like S- Succession, like you get like here they seem kind of normal like like they were obviously like distanced from mm-hmm. you know the boy Sean's actual mother who we see lives in like a rundown apartment but I think mm-hmm. that helped with the story too because if, if Glazer had made all these characters reprehensible I don't think it would have worked yeah right. yeah um, yeah like Lauren, Lauren Bacall too like um, I think she, you know, she just looks super graceful in, like, all of the scenes and, like, very stylish. And, like, the scenes yeah. when, um, there's, like, one scene when she's eating lunch at, like, a super fancy restaurant with Nicole Kidman. Um, and they're, like, drinking wine. And, uh, it's just, like, every day for them. And, but, like, you can tell that, like, Nicole Kidman is so disconnected. And I think she's, she's our way into this world, um, and a way into like her grief and like emotion and it's not like something so distant because I mean death is like so universal that it's like you know effective in that way yeah yeah I still think I I can't dismiss and you were mentioning this at the end we still can't dismiss the whole film challenges us not to dismiss what it tells us which is that Sean isn't really uh, her dead husband, like, just that opening scene when he dies, the child is born, like, Sean mm-hmm. is born, we're supposed to be born the second that Sean dies, like, I don't know, it just seems like we're, we can't really throw it, it's like that link, and it's probably something that's gonna linger with, uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, the rest of her life, like, you just can't shake that notion, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Is it really him? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that's why this movie, I felt it's so effective by the end because you still, you still can't dismiss that and you want to believe. I mean, there's so many ways that the movie sets us up to believe it, um, that it makes sense and you like want Nicole Kidman to like have a happy life. Um, yeah. And it's just not, it doesn't work out that way necessarily. For her. It would be a much more. I mean, to me, it would be a much more satisfying ending if, if they did run away together and like. I mean, it's a really fucked up scenario. <laughs> yeah. But if, but if you already like were like okay, if you just accepted it already, like you have to follow through the conclusions of like accepting that that boy is your dead yeah. husband. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's why this movie's so like. Uh, I don't know, I think unique in the way that it, like, the way the ways in which we root for her character, and, like, like you said, like, the supposed ending is still, like, a kind of fucked up one. Um, it just kind of challenges our morality and, like, I don't know, questions of, like, love and, and death and stuff. Yeah. 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 I thought the score was really great too. I think it's by Alexandra Alexandra Desplat. Desplat. Yes. I forget what else he's done, but I've seen. He does a lot of uh, Wes Anderson. Okay. Okay, that's right. Yeah, and a lot of other like a lot of films. He's a really prolific composer, Mm. but I mean, for me, most notably with Wes Anderson. Yeah, I think that's where Uh, I see his, his work. I heard it. I would I would highly recommend this film. Mm-hmm. It's like a thriller. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. You should, anyone to, who wants to watch this, they should do a triple feature with Sexy Beast <laughs> and uh, Under the Skin. Yeah. Uh, and you'll just, once you do that, you'll have seen all of his films. Yeah, so that's it's, crazy. It's like, that's really rare too. Films. Like, usually it takes, yeah. I mean, 10 films to finish, like a small discography, but you only got three here. Yeah. I need to watch Under the Skin. I, I still haven't yet. Um, I have seen mm-hmm. Sexy Beast, and like I think it's really cool watching that movie since that was his first, and he came from mm-hmm. music videos, yeah. and you can see the music video in Sexy Beast. With Birth, yeah. you yes. don't. With Birth is very, uh, very different in the way things are like just laid out. It's very calm. Like there's no quick edits. Like. Uh, mm-hmm. It fits right. the subject matter, but I, I'd say he probably also kind of grew from, you know, that music video. Yes, form. totally. Yeah, yeah. This is almost like a chamber drama mm-hmm. or something. All this, uh, and the beautiful mm-hmm. classical music too. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think next week we're having another friend on the pod, right, Clint? Yeah, Aton is coming on, and originally we were going to do Under the Silver Lake and the Heron Vice. Now, instead of that, we're going to do uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99 with Vince Vaughn and Bone Tomahawk with Kurt Russell, both both directed by uh, sort of the 21st century genre... Uh, grindhouse exploitation auteur uh, s craig zoller um it's gonna be really interesting nice i'll be curious to hear what you guys say about the politics of those (laughs) yeah well he so he's a lot of times he's interpreted as like a right-wing um Mm. violent uh filmmaker uh which i think is it a bit a bit of that is open to interpretation but even if it is I I kind of like that sort of genre of film. Like I'm a big fan of like Death Wish and mm. uh Oh me too. Yeah. So I really like I I mean we'll talk about it, but I re- I do really like a lot of ultra Yeah, that's the best one. Hell yeah. <laughs> Death Wish 3. Um like, that's my car. <laughs> Death Wish 3 is 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 definitely yeah. recommend. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. But but thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for being here and recommending these movies.